0: everybody. We are in the middle of season two of this podcast and I have really been enjoying sharing these interviews that I've had with folks and I have enjoyed like listening to them going back and editing and all that good stuff but let me tell you this one that I'm airing today it hits different because today I'm going to be sharing with you my interview with Dr. John Hodge. John in a nutshell is one of the smartest people that I know. He is the son of Dr. Johnny B. Hodge, who is my band director at a And although he technically did not march in HBCU band, with him being the son of HBCU band director, he was right there for everything. I'm just going to go ahead and let it roll. Here's my interview with Dr. John Hodge. I'm here with Dr. John Hodge, and there's so many things I could say about you, but like the biggest thing is that you are truly a brother to me. So John is the son of Dr. Johnny Hodge, who was the band director at a for quite a few years he was my band director and you and I John really started getting close uh, because of the fifth quarter yeah. and so you know it had been after I graduated and everything but John in addition to being Dr. Hodge's son he was the announcer for a t for many years and so although you technically didn't march for a t you are very very close to it because yeah. of your you know your affiliation and then also volunteering so I just wanted to talk with you because I know you always have a lot of good things to say and a lot of good advice and I also wanted to know about your you know just your experience kind of being I don't want to say in the shadows but like you know being the right hand person in a a HBCU band program so first of all hi (laughs) hi great to see you great to see you yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we're talking actually it's on Christmas Eve and we're both quarantined in our in our own houses and mm-hmm. um so yeah. So we're going to get right into it. So, yeah. so John, tell me about like growing up. I, I want to know really about your experiences being the the son, the child of an HBC band director and what that was like.
1: Wow. Um well great uh, great question. First of all, and great to be here with you on Christmas Eve. It's like being with family, right? Yes. Because I call you baby sis. I mean, that's so. This is this is like a family event to me. Growing up, the the earliest memories of auntie's band would be um, from 1972. I think I was five years old, and that was the year before Mr. Carlson Walter Carlson actually hired my dad to be his assistant in 1973. So I literally grew up around watching band. My dad's a band director, my mom was a chorus teacher. A lot of people don't know that. So there were two music majors from North Carolina Central. And so being around an HBCU band and a band director, I don't don't separate band from family and life. It kind of was a part of life. So it was nothing for me to leave my elementary school and walk to a and and watch somebody's senior recital. You know, I, I, I remember seeing kids do their, their senior recitals in music. And so it's a lot of fun. Um, there was some pressure with regard to music because my parents were musicians. So I sort of rebelled and went into sports. A lot of people don't know that about me, but I was a really, really like just uh, a very intense athlete and received, I went to A&T, but I went on an, an athletic scholarship. So I loved music, but I didn't want to be a part of the whole band scene because there's just a lot of pressure. I mean, it, you you can understand that. So, yeah. um, so I was, uh, of course, you know, my dad too, and my mom and my dad kind of forced me into the band world, my my freshman year, up until '85, the band an- announcer was a, a legendary musician and speaker, Turner Battle. Battle, his name is TB. A lot of people around Ante know TB. He's a brilliant musician, and you could not top him in terms of announcing because he would interact with the audience in a way that made them laugh. Well, I think TB had some gigs. You know, he was really pursuing his music. And he was doing the announcing thing as a favor for a and and for my dad. So one one day before the first game of the year in 1985, dad said, you got to come to Winston-Salem's game. I was going to go to the game anyway. He's like, you got to announce. I said, what do you mean announce? He's like, no, nah, you got to announce because TB can't be there. I said, I don't really want to do it. I don't give a damn what you want to do. You got to <laughs> announce. <laughs> you gotta announce, right? So that was my first time announcing. And back then, I mean, you know, Winston-Salem State versus a t that was like a really big game. And in my first announcing gig, the person who wrote my introduction was a guy named Jimmy Wright, former drum major, music major, saxophone player from South Carolina. And uh, I think I said something like, this is Radio station, W-A-F-U-N-K, better known as Aggie Funk, you know, Mm -hmm. something like that, right? I sucked. (laughs) It was the worst, that was my worst job ever, like, as an announcer, that game. But over the years, I became better at it. I learned from watching other announcers that whatever you say is true to your audience, so use that and the audience is really looking or listening for the announcer for direction so give a round of applause that kind of thing and that took a few years to learn but over the years I think I got better at that part I never thought I had the voice for it but I enjoyed it so literally I grew up from five years old till my 40s I was involved in band in some way
0: Oh wow. Okay. So but you you know how to play instruments. Like you I know you yeah. play clarinet, right? I
1: did. I played in I played in symphonic band at A T and I played I played clarinet coming up. I think I started I got my first horn in the fourth grade. Okay. I played from fourth grade. I played through high. I was a drum major in high school. A lot of people don't know that. I was absolutely yeah. not. I had
0: no idea. <laughs> yeah,
1: I was a I was a drum major for one year at So you Dudley, went to Dudley. Dudley Senior High School. Huge tradition. Uh in in marching band in the marching band world, especially in North Carolina. And I, I played when I got heavily into sports, then in the fall was taken up. So I couldn't be drum major anymore. So I played in concert in symphonic bands at Dudley. So, mm. I mean, it, it was a part of my life for forever.
0: So you were, you, you did track, that was your main sport? Track,
1: played some football, actually played basketball. I was a three-sport athlete.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs>
1: so, yeah, I, just, yeah.
0: I, I just keep thinking of you, like, I associate, like, you with track, and then I also associate your mom teaching business.
1: <laughs> right, <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's, a uh, mom... When she retired her last four years as an educator, she was back at Dudley as the chorus teacher. So okay. yeah, she was a double major. Um, she worked at A&T for I think around 15 years, but when she she left, she went back to music. So yeah, we all of our all of my siblings, we were required to play at least two instruments. So it had to play piano and something else. So all of okay. us play piano, and then you you picked what else you wanted to play. And I don't know. I mean, I wanted to play sousaphone. I really, yeah, I wanted to play. I mean, dad had tuba at the house. I wanted to pick that thing up and play it. And his thing was, you know, tuba players never get solo. So you got to play clarinet. So I didn't, I didn't even get to pick my instrument. I, Mm -hmm. I, you know, I was sort of encouraged to play clarinet. So, but it became fun. I mean, you could, you could spin that into soprano sax and other things. So that was kind of cool. You know, my my sisters were very accomplished pianists, but I think they both of them stopped after twelfth grade.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: To, to school. Yeah. Well,
0: you know. Well, you know, I marched with Nikki. She was a year yeah. ahead of me. Um, John's youngest sister, yeah. and um, she was a pl- flute player. I remember we played in symphonic band together, and of course, we marched for four years together, mm-hmm. and well, three because she was a year ahead of me, and um, she was in Golden Delight, so she was auxiliary. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so mm-hmm. I remember that fondly. hmm mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think
1: what was cool about us being around the band pop would fuss at us just like he fussed at everybody i mean it was like we were all kind of siblings so i know i know i got fussed out more than a few times in front of my friend but what was cool about it was i was around people that i grew up with that we had guys in the band who were literally from my street my home like where i grew up so dad had known us since we were babies (laughs) you know so it was kind of, that part of it was really cool. And then then there's the tension of competition with marching band. So that's something you can't sleep on. Because with, with me, marching band performances and how well the band did was not just entertainment. This was family. I mean, this is, you know, if you're in sixth grade and the band gets blasted by another band and you're in an elementary school, you go to school Monday, you're going to hear about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying, like Auntie's band suck, dude. You know, so and that's true for football coaches' sons too and daughters. So there was always a like a I, I would say a joyful tension around Auntie's marching band program because you know it was family involved, and I didn't realize it was there really until Dad retired. Mm. You know,
0: it, in 03, right? 02? It was
1: not in 03, yeah. Uh-huh. And he, like a few years after that, he and I went to a southern game. It was Southern versus Alabama State. It was a road trip with my nephew. And the day before we, you know, drove around Baton Rouge. Uh, dad actually went, we went to Southern's band practice and he talked to Southern's band. We thought that was cool. And he and I got to watch a halftime battle for the first time in my life with no pressure
0: oh that must have been beautiful <laughs> it was
1: awesome i mean we didn't care who did better it didn't matter we just surely got to enjoy what both bands were doing and both bands did a great job and we had a ball now then i got what everybody else had been getting the whole time you know you when you don't have any pressure on you with the outcome you can really enjoy the event more and and That's what we had a chance to do together. I'm I'm so because we only had a chance to do it once. So I'm Mm -hmm. really glad. Like my mom passed just a few months after that, and that just changed everything. Mm -hmm. But um, we had that experience and it was it was awesome, Christy. It was it was the best. I'll never forget that. Never. Yeah.
0: It's, it's funny because, you know, I remember you telling me about that, that trip, and I didn't realize that it took all the way into 06. I mean, I guess it makes sense now that you think about it, but mm-hmm. it took 0- oh to 06 for you to, like, really enjoy band, and I just remember, like, earlier when you and I were talking, like, on a very regular basis. Oh, every day. We were talking every day, Christy, for, for
1: years. We talked, mm-hmm. like, literally, especially, like, during the football season and before, mm-hmm. and just after we were on, because I look at you and I and a couple other people, it was like a war room. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you were bringing like some intel, what's happening in the band world and who's doing what. And, you know, and that's halftime is tactical. People don't get it. Like before we had like ready access to daily footage of bands with social media, band was purely word of mouth. Mm-hmm. That's all it was. So. Let's say, let's look at Mars Brown or the Marching Men of Cookman, right? So my dad's impression of those two programs way back was, oh, those are those are great bands. You know, they good pro, really, really great programs. But when you break it down with Dad, how many times did you actually see them? Mm-hmm. Twice. So it you know one event leaves a a twenty year impression on somebody, whereas today, it's day to day. You can suck. You can do well one week and just be horrible the next, and people know it in real time. So that's the that's the difference. I mean, it was a, just a different game back then. And um, one of the things that that dad did that was kind of interesting. He's the only. I don't know of another band director, like in the pantheon of great band directors. You know, you have Foster who's like, he's the guy, right? Carlson, he's the guy, Gregs. you put those guys, those guys were older than dad too. So he was just after them, but he's the only band director that I know whose name became a verb, right? (laughs) I don't know of another band director. I mean, you can try to name one, but I really don't know another band director whose name became a verb
0: no 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 but let me just say this i think part of that is because of you though john because you know we would say what we needed to say on the fifth quarter and you know the whole sneak attack thing became known as hodging because of you you can't you can't give that all to your dad but
1: but, but, all right all right so let me just say this i'll clarify this on podcast i told the lies (laughs) <laughs> so, so the people know Hajin meant that you undersell yourself
0: mm-hmm.
1: you under promise and then you over deliver over-deliver, right mm-hmm. and, you know chronic under promising right and that actually that came from dad now the way that was delivered was entirely up to me <laughs> but you know he his thing was um the the most pronounced version of Hajin to me was 99
0: uh 1990,
1: the 1999 band I mean because mm-hmm. oh we were we were like the the band before that was pretty good but not the highest height of of a band and um was
0: that the eight trombone year or something like no,
1: that no what it was they were they visibly they looked small but they had a bunch of brass I mean they had like 2630 trumpets over there and and every it was a season band so everybody was really strong knew the program and that's the band that sort of snuck up on people in 1999 right mm-hmm. so the, the the blocks of eight band that's 91 and 96 you know mm-hmm. those bands had blocks of eight and the eight could really play but uh, 99 was pretty large in terms of brass, and they were just smacky with sound. But before the season started, before anybody saw us, we, we uh, made up this uh, thing on the fifth quarter where there was discontent in the program, and people were quitting, and we didn't know what we were going to do, and we might not be able to make the trip to Norfolk State, and just, oh, we just, I'm not sure. I just don't know if we're going to make it through this. And people bought it. So, so we show up at Norfolk State and it's like, oh snap! They've been lying. So <laughs> that's an
0: infamous that's an infamous battle that '99 anti yeah. Norfolk battle. Yeah. yeah.
1: So um that that kind of stuff was fun. but you can't do that now. You know, mm-hmm. you, got, you got footage. Somebody's at practice now. I mean, you remember Cocoa Puff, right? <laughs> does, does Cocoa Puff have- happen today? What do you think?
0: Well, no, I was gonna say like we gotta give people a little background on Cocoa Puff, and <laughs> I have to say that Cocoa Puff he he's he's a buddy of mine. Um, his name's Javante, <laughs> and he, yeah, I was, wasn't gonna say that. I was. not. <laughs> that's okay because okay. you know what? I'll probably be talking to Javante on this podcast before it's all over with. Okay. But you know, <laughs> he he's a good sport. I'm gonna say that he he was drum major at at, at North Carolina Central at the time, and, and, and a good one. And yes. a good one. I will give yes. him that. Yes. Yes. Okay. So you go you go ahead and, and kind of because you have a good way of like saying it.
1: Before. All right. So so Coco Puff was on the fifth quarter, and he spoke ill of A T and what he what they were gonna do and what Central was gonna do. And see, here's a here's a part that I don't know if people know. My mom and dad loved North Carolina Central. I mean like deep, deep, deep. So they took joy. When Central win the game nobody knows that part nobody knows that part right but in terms of band I mean Puff's got to do his job so Coco Puff had made comments about Anie's band uh, on the fifth quarter which guys you have to keep in mind because I know I'm talking to m- millennials we didn't have the access to content that you guys have today so what Coco Puff did not know is I don't it was either me or Blue, or Source Cersei. I don't know who did it, but somebody handed Dad what Coco Puff said, and Blue and Dad read it to the band that day, <laughs> right? This is doing band camp. They read it to the band as sort of like a motivation type, because these kids are not on scholarship. They're in band because they want to be in a band. There's, you know, the budget doesn't compare to other programs, at least it did not then, because anti primarily academics you know it's the band if you create a program there it took some real skill i think in terms of recruiting and building so this that afternoon guess who comes to t's band practice <laughs> coco puff <laughs> he, sh- he shows up he shows up and he became the focal point of the practice it was like people were saying oh this guy has talked junk about us. Now, co- to his credit, Coco Puff had no idea. We had read his comments to the band that day. And uh, he shows up at the band room after practice, and his uh, frat brothers encouraged him to stand in this one position, and a ts entire brass section blew what became the downfield, I think, Waiting on, waiting on the Night? Waiting for Tonight. Waiting for Tonight, yeah. yeah. At him as aggressively as they could. And I was in the middle of the circle recording the whole thing.
0: Oh, and, and it's, that's some good band folklore right there. Oh my that was gosh. Like, <laughs> oof, that was intense. That was
1: intense. Yeah. That was intense. So, yeah, but I
0: always wanted to know with, with Doc being an, a central alum, but he's working and he, he's playing for his rival, like how he felt about that because you know, of course, you want to do good at your job, but then, you know, yeah. sometimes it's at the detriment of your alma mater, and you don't, I, I don't know, I feel like I would be conflicted. He
1: was, he was, he was very conflicted, but Dad's attitude was, you know, do what you do, and there there was, there was a connection between a and and Central that goes way back. There's so many stories I could tell, but um, one in particular, when Dad was in high school— in Henderson, the center of the band universe was a t marching band. It just was. And Walter Carlson, Carlson was the band director, and he was the guy. I mean, brilliant band director and well-known and just built a monster of a program. Well, uh, A&T would have these um, festivals where high school kids or high school bands would from around the state would come to AT and play. And dad was in one of the high schools that came to, to AT and performed. And on one of those dates, he met Walter Carlson, who he he says to Mr. Carlson, you know, I want to work for you one day. Like just out of he he was just so enamored with Mr. Carlson. And on that day, Mr. Carlson says, Well, you know, you keep working hard, you might get here. Now i I know Mr. Carlson did not recall that, but to my dad, that was everything, right? Mm -hmm. Well, Mr. Carlson had an assistant at the time named Richard Jones. And Richard Jones became the band director at Central. So dad went to Central under Mr. Jones, who used to work for Mr. Carlson. So it was all still connected, right? You you remember a post a long time ago? Mm -hmm. I wrote about Family Tree of Music. Yeah, Mm -hmm. You know, you, t- you take a band director and just look at all the people who studied under that band director and you you begin to see that we're all sort of connected, right? right. So mm-hmm. dad didn't, you know, he loved a too, but Central was home. You know, that was where mm-hmm. he graduated. So he wanted to see, he wanted to see that, that program do well. He was a, he was a fan of Mr. Reed, when he was there, right? Mm-hmm. He wanted to see that that young man do really well as a band director. So he was conflicted, but there was no doubt that he wanted his band to be the best on the day they faced each other, period. All right. <laughs> you know, so...
0: So, you know, you and I could really talk for hours about this, but I want to kind of shift direction a little bit and talk about, like, the trips you went on. So, you know, with being the announcer and everything, being, like, on the staff, Uh what were some of the more memorable trips that you remember attending? Oh, my gosh.
1: All right, so there's some some classical trips where I think the St. Petersburg Drum Major for Justice parades come to mind because those those were those were events that happened in January of the year. So it was kind of off season. And during those trips, I think auntie's band grew and learned a lot about itself and about what, what was- were those? we went in 1986. We went again in so that actually would have been uh, winter 87. So the, the 86 band went to the drum major for justice parade in January of 87 and the 89 band went to the drum major for justice parade in 1990. But those are two really good bands from a and And in the, in the 86 campaign, we were there with Bethune, Cookman and Texas Southern. I keep in mind, we had never seen any video footage of them. We had heard about them, but it was all word of mouth. I mean, you had, you had no internet. The internet did not exist. So we're at this um, this area where the marching bands are are having lunch, right? You're supposed to show up with your band, have lunch before the main event. This is after the parade, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Now
1: you remember AT was notorious for blowing on people. <laughs> why, why don't you explain what that means? What because do do people even know what that means anymore? Do do bands
0: well, I do, mean I, I, to say that they do. Like most people, are affiliated with HBCU band programs in some way. Um, but I mean, you can always illustrate things so well. So I'll let you I'll let you describe it.
1: Well, blowing on people is like it's like a really big hello <laughs> <laughs> with, with all of your brass, and you just want to say, "Hey, just want you to know I'm here, and I have I have uh, I have intentions on." on this this outcome right so mm-hmm. it's when another band gets in concert formation and as another band arrives or passes they just unleash some sort of fanfare with all of their sound and just you know announce themselves well the first time that i can remember AT being blown on where it's like woo this this was that was effective um 1986 we're at, we're showing up for a little lunch part, and our four or five buses drive up and Texas Southern sees us. And the band director at the time, Ben Butler, Mm -hmm. who's a great band director, by the way, right? So, So they see us and we're, Christy, we're lined up perfectly, right? Like the buses are one behind the other. So Texas Southern gets in concert formation right outside the buses. They're in constant, so they're blowing against a bus wall. And as soon as we open the doors, whoa, They just unleashed, just wow! It was like wow. You could feel the buses vibrate. My dad looks at me, and I wish I could repeat what he said because it's a <laughs> real compliment. <laughs> but but it would be a pretty serious curse word, so I'm not gonna say it. But he was impressed by what they did. I can now,
0: imagine. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So so so. That became part of the arsenal. Like, okay, that that's a that's a that's a good tactic. Now, in terms of the band performance that day, I thought I thought Ant was the best band there. And you know, I'm pretty objective. Like, I'll criticize AT. I will. I will do mm-hmm. that. that day I thought in terms of performance, but in that that harsh sound, I think some people call it the swack sound. Mm-hmm. I like that. I really do. I love that sound. It it it's like if a MIAC band hugs you with their sound, a SWAC sound smacks you in the face.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so when we got off those buses, I felt like Texas Southern smacked us in the It was like pow, like woo, man. So AT soon after gets a young arranger from the SWAC mm-hmm. whose dad was a higher ed administrator, Dr. Handy. His son is Kevin Caesar Handy who happened to be a really good arranger. And so when you heard a sort of shift to a more harsh sound, uh, the architect of that harshness was Caesar. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, people don't really know about him like they should. I think he, he really did bring an interesting uh, element to a band world.
0: I think people of a certain age will know. Like if you, you know, a certain age range will know. But I think if you march, probably late '90s on, you may not know about him. But uh-huh. I mean, he definitely was a presence when I was marching, and I okay. know that the people that were like around around your age will mm-hmm. would know. I, I'm thinking
1: sure. And see, mm-hmm. with him being that he influenced influenced other. Arrangers who did not copy him, but he influenced him, like Aaron Campbell, Tori Cersei, um, David Edgerton,
0: mm-hmm. Dave flat
1: I mean, these guys were influenced by that, so you you will hear a little bit of it in mm-hmm. some of those arrangements. But uh, I I I like I like the harshness. That's a that's a thing with me. Like if you can if you can play a good ballad and then smack somebody in the face, that's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. camera, you know. Yeah. So,
0: but yeah. So, what other other trips do you remember uh, when we played Southern?
1: I do, I do. Boy, oh, that right. that yeah. was so much fun. Uh, 1994. Yeah. Of course, you know, Southern knows nothing about us. That is, you know, they maybe heard about A but maybe not. Sort of, kinda. And I remember I introduced like this is this is so interesting. But the summer before that game. One of my best friends was stationed in that area. He was uh, with ROTC at Tulane. So I go to Southern University's band room to meet Dr. Greggs. He was not in, but I left him an a t-shirt. Now, back then that was like a big deal. It's like somebody from all the way up there came that I didn't come there just to go to Southern. Mm-hmm. But since I was in town, I thought, let me just drop by a band t-shirt. Well, that became like a point of conversation between dad and Dr. Gregs, whose personalities were somewhat similar in that they were very confident. They were very, very, very confident alpha men. I was, I will say that. Mm-hmm. Um, and had a lot of respect for each other. Uh, Dr. Gregs was older, but Pop was, super confident mm-hmm. so so the first scene like if this is a movie the first scene is Southern University is in concert formation warming up doing their thing and T is about half a block away now Southern is facing a wall and T is just beyond the wall so they're in this nice little cut and A&T blows su's favorite fanfare yeah at the the, now now who now here's the deal best way to handle a bully is start the fight don't (laughs) let the bully start the fight with you right you go ahead and go for it so a and t again really like to compare the two in terms of at, at that time especially being well known Southerns band, much more well-known yep. at the time, right? Famous. I mean, everybody, we love Southern. Everybody, I mean, they uh, were on TV
0: every every year.
1: Every year, on TV, uh, lots of pub. Remember the 86 uh, Band Fest from BET? Oh, yep. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they're playing um, Frankie Belly and Maze doing the circle drill. I mean, they were a f- rock star band, right? Mm-hmm. So, but But the, the advantage we had was they had no clue who we were, none. There, there was nothing available about T really you but if but that old rule remember old school guys like they'll see a program one or two times and that'll be an impression or make an impression of on them if grambling and T in 1977 showed anything is that t can play with anybody right right and that that was sort of a reputation that A&T was resting on what they did against Grambling because they did really well I mean from what I've heard, a superior band at the time. So um, but there's I don't think Dr. Greg's and his kids had seen much of A&T. So when we blew, out me and Jimmy Wright were standing in front of Southern's band. And we heard, we didn't know AT was going to do that. They just we just heard the sound. And when the sound came, Christy, it came. It came right up that alley like a like it was being funneled. And the, the Southern kids reacted like, Oh snap. Right. They started like flexing and like, Oh man. So they play it back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm like, it's all now. So we go to the stadium and they play it first at the stadium. Then we play it back. And then after the game, we get in concert formation and blow like eight or nine songs. They got on the buses. They had to, to, to get to dinner and get settled. But I felt like on that day, our kids in the band felt as if they could play with anybody.
0: And yep, I will tell you, as a member of that band, I definitely <laughs> felt like that. I mean, there were there were some tense times that weekend because, I mean, it was the Circle City Classic. Yep. And I remember we, we were getting lunch during one of those days. Like, I think they fed us and then they fed them or something like that. And so we kind of, we didn't have to, like, be in close... Proximity with each other, but it's, I just remember it being just a tense weekend. It was fun, but, sure. it was, but it was tense, and I think part of the reason was because of that exchange that we had earlier. Because I think that was on that Friday when yeah. we it was when we did that fanfare. It was on that, that Friday, and um didn't you tell me sometime about like a, a radio station thing? Oh, like- I, that's where my head was. Yeah,
1: I'm <laughs> I'm landing. I'm landing in. Uh, Indiana, Indianapolis right and I get in my cab cab has on the radio station and they're talking about the Circle City Classic all of a sudden the two band directors from the game are <laughs> on the radio right and of course the, the radio station is trying to hype it up so he asks well who's going to take halftime or something to that effect and of course Dr. Gregs says well you know nobody's southern nobody's touching southern university whatever whatever right he he knew it was like definitive and pop was like oh we going to put you all to sleep tonight man i mean he he really like he's like we're knocking you out we're going to retire you i mean he it was, it was like a and i don't think i don't think dr greggs expected that but he didn't really know no he knew him but he didn't know him mm-hmm. pop was a shit talker Mm-hmm. Straight up. He he was not backing down. Now he he had a lot of respect. I would, I would say almost a a reverence for that generation, like Dr. Greggs, Emory Fears, Dr. Foster, really Mr. Carlson, Walter Carlson from AT. And you know, he had a lot of respect because he he knew he wouldn't be without them. So you had that element to it, but then you had that pop was not a, uh, he was not going to just let you say anything to to mm-hmm. you. He, was a, he was a fighter too. So um, there was some friendly tension, but keep in mind they're frat brothers too. So you got that going on. That's a positive, but it, it, there was a real competition between those two bands that I think echoed in 2003. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I I think, and it, we felt it in 2007 because because. I think I'm not sure, but I think the band director in 2007, who asked Dad to speak at Southern, was on the staff in
0: '94. <laughs> you
1: see what I'm saying? So there was a there was a tie-in because Pop's old man at that time. He's retired. He's been retired four years, and um, he's I, I hate I cannot recall his name, but he's he was the band director from Southern when they went against they played in the alley after the mardi gras parade yeah uh gosh i cannot think oh i'm so oh i hate that i hate i cannot recall his name but had a brilliant program great program great career and i think he was on the staff in 94 so when we show up in 2007 there's a connection there which is another thing i like about um band uh there it's kind of like a family And that's that's I think what our NLBHs were all about. Like Mm -hmm. South Carolina State games were always uh, fun. Those those were fun. The marching one hundred and one was no joke. People, trust me. They they Ronald Sargent does not get his due.
0: They were one of my favorite bands coming up. Oh my god! Put it out there, like you know, again that BET Banfest eighty six. I mean. Mm -hmm. They were one of my favorite bands coming up, and I remember yeah. being younger, always just really, you know, I grew up going to the a games, but I just remember the battles between A&T and South Carolina State just being, I was really trying to go to that game, you know. Yeah, um, for the Bands, Christy, in 1978,
1: now I could not recall the band director's name from Southern. I cannot recall, and it will come to me as soon as this podcast is over. I'm going to probably look it up on my phone. But anyway, I remember what South Carolina State's marching band played in 1978, 42 years ago. They played, when they came to ANT, they played Ease On Down the Road. They played You and I by Rick James. They played Boogie, Oogie, Oogie by Taste of Honey. And the slow song was Close the Door.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: That was their program in 1978. And I remember that because I was 10 years old on the sideline with my. Skull blown off almost because that sound was <laughs> insane. It was in that people just don't know because there's no footage of them, right? You know, we don't know. I, and, I'm sure
0: they're alumni, some South Carolina State alumni that probably marched during men or somebody heavily affiliated with that program probably has some. Some I don't even know it was VHS. Maybe it was like real to real footage. Yeah, of, I, I'm sure they they
1: have it they have to i mean they were not pretty good that that from 19 1978 to 1982 those four years i would put those four years of south carolina state up against any band program period mm-hmm. i do not care i don't care who it is or when right. i don't care if it, it doesn't matter because they were going toe-to-toe with fam when this was fam's heyday right 78 this, this is, fam- and, and trust me, they just, FAMU and Jackson State were carried on ABC TV in 1978. They had a, a big game, and we had never, it was the first time in my life I had ever seen an HBCU on national TV. And both bands were tremendous. They did a great job. We never saw South Carolina State you never saw them get that kind of coverage. And Orangeburg, South Carolina is really small. So unless you're there, I mean, you go to their stadium, and this is no slight. This is not a slight. But their stadium is small. Mm-hmm. It is. I mean, it's not a big stadium. So it, it, would be, it would be logical that you could be a band fan in the early 80s and not know about South Carolina State. They were every bit as good as anybody. And I'm an a and graduate. I don't like South Carolina State. I'm just telling you the truth. <laughs> they, they, were, they were they were that good, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, John, you know what? We like I said, we could talk about this for for hours, literally. But um, I'm gonna just go ahead and you know try to wrap some things up. I know it's killing you to figure out who that bander Oh, is.
1: I cannot figure it out. It but i Wasn't
0: Knighton? Was it?
1: No, he was on the staff. Was it? Tay- not Taylor.
0: No, that's that's um Jackson.
1: Name, name, do you know some? What was who, name some band directors from Southern? Oh Lord, because <laughs> Knight, Knight was on the staff in 2007. Uh, oh, Jackson Jackson, right? He's a band yeah, he's a yeah, that's him, that's him, that's who it is. Yeah, Mr. J- Mister Jackson's cool, just cool as he could. Man, I love that dude because mm-hmm. he was what I saw in him, and he did not have to do this. He he absolutely did not have to do this. When in, in 2007. When I took dad to Southern, dad was sick then. My dad suffered from um, Alzheimer's mm-hmm. and, but people didn't know. I knew cause I knew him and I knew he was slipping. And um, you know, th- th- those were tough times for me cause we lost my mom at that time. So, and he, that made his illness even worse. And he kind of declined pretty quickly after that. But at the time, you know, it was me, him and my nephew Mom was still alive, and we go, and Mr. Jackson brings dad into his office, and he he just uh just loads, gives him lots of compliments, and dad returns compliments to him. It's a lot of respect, but I could tell Mr. Jackson was sort of really being gracious to an an el like an older person, you know. Mm-hmm. That's how I felt. And then Mr. Jackson said, Well, I want you to talk to my band, and and he let dad talk maybe a minute or two. But it meant so much to us as a family. I wonder, you know, I I hope he listens to this because that meant that was before we started this podcast today. I was telling you about that, you know, I think, or during it maybe, about Mm -hmm. that day where that day meant so much because it was the first time that dad and I had a band experience was no pressure. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. just relax. The, the, the time before that, that I can recall, Christy, is 1976 at the Bicentennial Parade. And I was, I think I was uh, nine. I was in the fourth grade. That was no pressure. That's when Car- Cardozo's high school watching band was the best band in the parade and there were college bands in that parade. I'm not gonna start an argument and say which colleges. Cardozo <laughs> was a beast boy in Eastern High School. DC had a lot of talent. Bring me back. Let's talk about like feeders and, uh,
0: Okay. let's do that. You know, you know I'll bring you back. <laughs>
1: All right, let's do that. Yeah, let's do but that.
0: let's go ahead and um and and close this out. So do you have any like parting words or anything you want to leave with or anything that's just like on your heart right
1: now. Oh my, well, I I love you. You are, you, what you've meant to the marching band world. I don't think you realize it, but you, you started something special that we still, still feel today. We, 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 as band programs have never been able to access one another in the forum that you established with fifth quarter and I, I, we still feel that today. I mean, I've got friends, I'll put it to you this way. This, this is what you did. You did this. When my dad died of the first seven phone calls I made, four were from and because of the fifth quarter. Now that's deep, isn't it? Yeah, it is, I had no idea. The, when, and I'm an English major and people think I can write.
0: Um, you, <laughs> right? can. You, right. are, you are being humble now
1: but, but 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 i could not write my dad's obituary i physically could not do it the person i asked to do that for me and my family was herb from the fifth quarter really yeah he wrote my dad's obituary i couldn't do it
0: I now see that just blows me away
1: you oh, didn't man. know that. I gotta
0: call Herb now. <laughs> yeah,
1: I call the day Dad died. I called um, uh, I called Vic. Damn mm-hmm. you! And I I know I called you. I called Herb, and I said Herb, I can't, I knew I I knew it needed to be done because the way funerals flow, you gotta get that stuff done quickly. Mm-hmm. And I said Herb, I, I can't do this. I was I was like just hurting inside, but he you know he was patient with me. Yeah. I wasn't crying or anything. I was just crushed, kind of like, ugh, it would just hurt.
0: Yeah. And I,
1: I can't write this. Can you, can you do this for me? And he did not hesitate. He did not. He's got a friend for life. Mm-hmm. His grandchildren can ask my nieces and nephews for a favor, and they will get it. Oh, wow. <laughs> they oh, will wow. get it. He, he didn't just write. He wrote the hell out of that obituary. It was, it was better than what I could have done. And, but, but think about that, that whole connection and relationship is because of the fifth quarter and you did that, you and Mike, that's not a little deal with me. That's a big deal. So uh, what I would say to those listening, you know, do something, follow your purpose and really do your best to make a difference. That's what I would say.
0: Yes. It has been such a pleasure talking with you. You are always big bro. I really appreciate you. being you and I feel like we need to even I feel like I need to call you even just more just to bounce some stuff off with you but
1: hey I'm here I'm here here for you baby sis I'm here for you
0: you have listened to the HBCU Band Experience with Christy Walker. Interviews and editing conducted by yours truly, Dr. Christy Walker. The music is District 4 by Kevin McLeod, And you can find this podcast on HBCU hbcubandexperience.podbean.com. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Take care.